0: Chapter three. We'll read the first nine verses here in just a moment. Second Timothy, Chapter three, verses one to nine. This is what the Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Let's pray together. O God, reveal Your glory through the preaching of Your Word until every heart in this room, and every heart watching on the live stream, and every heart that watches it later, until every heart confesses that Christ is Lord. Send Your Spirit to open our eyes. Open our ears, open our hearts to receive Your truth, to believe it, to love it, and to live differently because of it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I have a love-hate relationship with TV shows about home renovation. I love them because I love to see the work. I love to see the before and the work and the after. I hate them because they make it look so easy, because the renovation of an entire mansion is complete in an hour, or some portion of it, even sometimes in 30 minutes. Sure, there are bumps along the way. Uh, the, 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 the people working on it will talk about what a difficult job it is and what they always have to do. But everything always works out in the end, which is terribly misleading for a guy like me <laughs> because it doesn't always work out so well in the end for me. So I love them, but I hate them. But I watch them and I continue to be lured in by them. And so I think, yes re-roofing my house, putting on an addition, uh, building a dining room table from scratch. This is something I can do this afternoon. (laughs) So I go to Home Depot, right? I go to Home Depot and I get the supplies I'm pretty sure I need, and I go home and I start working. And then I realize, I don't have all the supplies I need. So I go back to Home Depot, and the same person who was in the department before is in there again, and I say, hello, and they say hello again and I say, I need this and that and the other. So I get this and that and the other, and I go back to the house and I start working again, and then I realize the thing I got on the second trip to Home Depot is not actually the thing I need. So I have to go back to Home Depot, and by now they're prepared to give me an orange vest and let me have a place there where I can just walk around whenever and however. But this is how it happens, and it's a downward cycle. Now imagine someone comes up to me and they put their arm around me and they say, they turn off the television and they say, look, look me in the eye. I know you want to lay this floor in the bathroom, Toby, but just know this, it's going to take six trips to Home Depot. You're going to use muscles you didn't even know existed before today. You'll need multiple doses of Advil. You will start over at least once. You'll shed your own blood in the process. But you'll get it done. Well, now at least I'm going into the project with a realistic understanding of what I'm facing. I don't just have, you know, the rose-colored glasses of HGTV, you know, on my head telling me, surely I can do this in a half hour in a much more significant way that is what Paul is doing for Timothy in these verses Paul wants to make sure that his young friend does not lose sight of reality if you remember how last week's text finished the end of chapter 20 uh, chapter 2 verses 25 and 26 it's absolutely true Paul says God can open eyes God can bring people to their senses he can grant repentance he can free people from the evil one but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy and so he goes on in chapter 3, verse 1, to say, But understand this. What is it that Timothy should understand? I think what Paul is trying to communicate is this. Faithful ministry is hard, but not hopeless. Faithful ministry is hard, but not hopeless. That is what he needs to understand. That is the point of these nine verses. So, let's just think about it. First, Paul talks about, he mentions the difficulty right there in verse 1. Look at it. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now, that phrase, last days, often causes people's radar to go up, right? Because when we hear the phrase, the last days, many people automatically think about those days which immediately precede the second coming of Jesus. And in John's gospel, The singular, the last day, actually does refer to that time. So, Jesus says in multiple places that on the last day, He will raise up His followers. That's speaking of our resurrection, when we receive glorified bodies and live forever in the new earth. But when the phrase is plural in the New Testament, it's not used in the same way. The last days refers to that time when Jesus came from that time to the time that he returns so in hebrews chapter 1 the writer to the hebrews says long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son on the day of pentecost peter is preaching and he quotes the prophet joel and this is what he says acts 2:17 And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, now Peter's talking about what just happened. The pouring out of the spirit has come. And he says, in these last days, that's what's going to happen. So, properly understood, it is absolutely right for us to say, we are living in the last days. But it is also absolutely right to say, Timothy was living in the last days. And in these last days, in your days, Timothy, there will be times of difficulty. Times, uh, meaning times and seasons. Not every single moment, but seasons. Imagine that you're on a ship in the middle of the ocean, right? Some days, it's, you know, they're never not waves. It's never just some, you know, you never, don't, you never stop doing this, you know, feeling the rocking of the, the ocean that you're in. But there are times of difficulty, aren't there? Storms that surge up, waves that crash in, hurricanes, tsunamis, these kinds of things come at times. And that's what Paul is saying. There are going to be particular times of difficulty. There will be seasons in which, Timothy, it's nothing but blood, sweat, and tears. We need this kind of reminder today, don't we? Because you know how people talk about ministry? That if you're really doing it right, there may be a few bumps in the road, but everything's going to be relatively smooth. I mean, if you're doing it right, everything's going to go well. Well, friend, tell that to the parent who is praying and teaching and seeking to set an example for their children, only to be met by resistance and rebellion. Tell that to the Christian who is seeking prayerfully to share the gospel with friends and meeting only endless, merciless teasing and ostracism in return. Tell that to Jesus of Nazareth, who was the perfect, faithful one. Yet He wasn't just opposed, He was mocked and beaten and handed over for crucifixion by the very people who should have been listening to Him. There will be times of difficulty. Have you experienced that? Have you been in gospel conversation with someone and experienced those times? Where it seems like for a while they seem to be nodding along and listening, and maybe you get to something like the reality of judgment and hell, or maybe the need for repentance or, or some other thing comes up, and, you, and then it's just like, shoo, the storm has come and they will unleash. How dare you say that? I don't have a God like that. There will be times of difficulty. Know this, that in the last days, since the time that Jesus came and lived and died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven, there will be times of difficulty. And he goes on to explain why they'll come. Secondly, he speaks of darkness. Not just difficulty, but darkness. The work will be difficult because the world is dark. Look at, look at verse 2. <clears throat> look, at, look at the first word. For. Now, that's a key word in Paul's letters. Because most often when you see that, do you know what he's saying? He's saying, because. Why would there be times of difficulty? For people. Isn't it interesting? Circumstances around Timothy aren't going to be his worst problem. Physical stamina is not going to be his biggest issue. Financial problems aren't going to be the biggest deal. It's going to be people. I remember being in seminary and these, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed seminarians, including myself, you know, would say dumb things like, I would love ministry if it weren't for the people. Well, here's, here's the thing. There is no ministry apart from people. And why is ministry hard? People. I'm one of them. I am one reason my ministry is difficult, but you all contribute as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right? But he's talking, he's talking very broadly here for people. People. What is it about people that will make ministry difficult? Well, let's read it. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Eighteen characteristics squeezed into three verses. Paul loves to do this kind of thing, doesn't he? He loves to give these pound, these kind of, it's galloping after you kind of lists. He does it in Romans 1. He does it in 1 Corinthians 6. He does it in Galatians 5. He does it in Colossians 3. And and those are just the lists of sins, not to mention the list of uh, righteous uh, things. But when it comes to this list, the key to putting it together, I think, is the first phrase and the last phrase. Why will times be difficult, Paul? For people will be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God. And that's a summary of all of the darkness that lies in between those two things. Loving self produces love of money, love of pleasure, because both of those focus on me. Love of self is expressed in external pride and internal arrogance. It results in being swollen with conceit. When you love self rather than God, you treat others poorly, you get abusive in language, you slander others, you become heartless, unloving, brutal, treacherous. Your whole moral compass shifts to being based on what you think rather than on what God thinks. So you don't love good, you won't be holy. You won't obey your parents. You won't obey anyone for that matter. You won't feel the need to thank anyone, and you won't need, feel the need to forgive anyone. That's what unappeasable means, is unforgiving. You'll be reckless, and you'll indulge, indulge yourself rather than control yourself. Friends, loving yourself rather than loving God, pursuing yourself, putting yourself first, is a fountain of of evil. It is a fountain of evil, and the culture that Timothy is living in is swimming in the murky, mucky waters that come from the fountain called love of self. But it doesn't take a lot of creative thinking or imagination to know that the fountain still exists today, and it is flowing as freely now as it ever was. That all of these characteristics and more flow from the fountain of love of self. Abortion serves self. Both providing it and procuring it. Racism exalts the ethnicity of self above all others. Rioting and looting exalts the power of self in response to the self-exaltation of others. The abuse of God-given power in governmental positions of authority is an act of self-exaltation. I will show you how powerful I am. I will put my knee on your neck. All sexual sin, adultery, premarital sex... Pornography, homosexuality, transgenderism, pedophilia, all of it exalts self, serves self, and makes self the master of that domain. I will determine what is right and best for me, and no one else can say a thing about it except, well done. The darkness of loving self is everywhere because as Jesus said in John chapter 3, the people loved darkness rather than light. Before we get a neck cramp from nodding too heavily, Paul goes on to say that this problem, this murky water is not in some pond out there somewhere. It's, it, it, its reach is not limited to those people out there. The reach of those waters is in rooms just like this, where people have gathered under the banner of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it seems... And it is clear that Paul is talking about things that can be going on in your life and nobody knows it. Look at verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. One can pretend to be holy. Have an appearance of godliness. Put on a thin veneer of morality. And underneath, nothing but darkness. Jesus said it was true of the Pharisees, didn't He? You are like whitewashed tombs. filled with nothing but rancid, stinky, decaying, dead bones. You clean the outside of the cup so well you will scrub for hours and hours and get a new sponge and start over again. While mold and all manner of disgust grows inside the cup. This kind of veneer of godliness over loving self, over not loving God, over all manners of evil that flow out of that fountain. that that is a denial, Paul says, a denial of the power of godliness, a denial of the gospel, a denial of Jesus Christ as Lord, a denial that the gospel actually changes us. You see, if you just come along, you say, well, now I believe in Jesus. I'm going to do all these nice things. And there's no actual regeneration, no actual new birth, no actual Holy Spirit residing within you so that Nothing changes except the veneer of morality on the outside. I'm just trying to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to say I believe in Jesus. I'm going to do better things. I'm going to say it. I'm going to do these things. But you're never changed that way. It is a denial of the very gospel that you say you believe. I wonder as you reflect on that, and I wonder as you think about that, whether you would say that right now in your life, you are denying the gospel that you say you believe. Because you are not merely tolerating these love of self things, you're reveling in them. Your biggest fear is that no one would see them. And what is Timothy to do with such people? Look at the end of verse 5. Avoid such people. This is not an act of being unloving. The fact of the matter is, is that when one is claiming to be a believer in Jesus and living like one who is clearly not a believer of Jesus and is in no way interested in repentance, is in no way interested in change, is in no way interested in renewal, those are contradictory things. And so Timothy, Timothy... You must not be unloving. You remember the, before, you can't be quarrelsome, be kind with everyone, be gentle, all of that stuff. But you have to avoid them. They cannot just come around and just be part of the church and come in and out and keep serving because everything looks okay. Paul writes to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. In other words, nothing about the relationship with that person who, is, who is, has an appearance of godliness and a denial of its power, nothing about that relationship should look normal, like, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Because the table was a place of acceptance, a place of friendship, a place of the reality that we're on good terms with one another. That's why it's so significant that Mephibosheth would be invited to the king's table and to eat there. But Paul's saying, you can't do that. And friends, it may not be the most popular idea in the church world today. In fact, I know it's not, but this is why uh, what we call church discipline matters so much. It's why we must continue to help people to repent of sins, to keep calling people to walk, to, for me to be called, for you to be called, for us to one another in such a way that we're saying you have to live in line with the gospel that you believe. You have to. And if you won't do it and you won't repent... Well, the fact of the matter is is that such a person is dishonoring Jesus and denying the power of the gospel, and the church cannot be complicit in that kind of hypocrisy. That's why the Bible says to remove that one. That's what Paul says earlier in 1 Corinthians 5. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, treat that person as a tax collector or sinner, now, what that meant in the Jews' minds who were reading that gospel was they, to be, they are an outsider. They are outside the fold. Let me just ask you a question. Would you like to be complicit in the hypocrisy of men and women claiming to know Jesus and denying it by the way they live? Would you like to do that? Would you like to pat them on the back and say, this is what a Christian really looks like? It, it looks like just saying you believe in Jesus, but nothing else actually matters. Boy, I hope not. But if that's where you're at, I'd love to sit down and just study the Bible with you. Because the most important thing the church can do is glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And such a thing dishonors Him. Ministry is difficult because of darkness. But it's also hard because of deception. Among those who have the appearance of godliness... And deny its power, there are these deceivers. Verse six Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambers opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. In other words, these people who say they are actually Christians, but deny the gospel, there are some of these who actually are teachers as well. They're false teachers. And they, they actually, they're preying on the weak. Here in Ephesus, uh, it, the deception is working best among women. But just to be clear for all of us, Paul does not say it is because these women are women that they are weak. Okay? He, ju- he actually tells us why they are weak. Look at it. Weak women, he describes them in three phrases. First, they are burdened by sins, burdened with sins. There is a pattern of sin that has brought guilt, it is piled up, that's what that burden is, and they are looking apparently for some kind of relief that is not found in Jesus. They are led astray by various passions. These are the same passions, by the way, that up in chapter 2, verse 22, Paul tells Timothy he should flee. They're not running from them, they're being led by them. They're always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. These women love to study together. Whatever the latest study is, get it off Amazon. Let's go. Doesn't matter if it actually teaches the Bible or not, so long as it's done well, it's fascinating, it stimulates conversation. Oh, I'll do that kind of learning all day long. But what they never get to is the knowledge of the truth, which is actually more than gathering facts. This knowledge is a fullness of understanding, intimate knowledge, a knowledge that actually changes everything. Indeed, the knowledge of the truth is actually Paul's shorthand for the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 25, God may grant repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy, chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I keep turning too far. There we go. Verse 3, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. To arrive at a knowledge of the truth is to know God. It is to be saved. It is to be forgiven. It is to be cleansed. It is to have heaven as your home. And what is, problem, what is problematic with these women in Ephesus is that they are they, their sins are piled high. They keep chasing their passions and they're not going, they're, they're learning all manner of like religious speak or something, but they're never actually learning the truth. Are you looking for ways to deal with sin that some way other than confession and repentance? One of our children for a while got in a pattern of when, when that child got in trouble, they would, rather than confess or repent, they would immediately become very eager to do good things for other people. Do you do something like that? Do you think, well, I had a pretty rough day or a, you know, well, I was pretty rough with my wife, but instead of I was pretty harsh with her, but instead of confessing and repenting and seeking her forgiveness, I'll pick up flowers and chocolate on the way home. Well, no matter what Hallmark says, or no matter what your wife says, flowers and chocolate do not reconcile a marriage. Confession and forgiveness do. How much more do we need to approach God the way that he wants us to approach him? Not by trialing to, not with more piled high with sins, not to try to pile even higher our good deeds, which are like filthy rags. But if anyone confesses their sin, he is faithful and just to forgive their sin and cleanse them. Are you chasing down every sinful desire that hits you? I mean, if you feel it, if you have the desire, isn't that something that you should do? Well, the world would say yes, the Lord would say no. Are you interested only in gaining some religious information without actually knowing the truth, without actually knowing God, without actually submitting to Him? Well, friend, if those things describe you, if you're burdened with sins and led astray by passions and not, you know, you're interested in learning, but not really the truth, then do not be surprised when I say you are opening yourself up to major deception. You will look for anything and everything but what the Lord has for you. Paul goes on to give an example of these deceivers, Janus and Jambres, whose names don't appear anywhere else in the Bible, by the way, but tradition says that these were two of the magicians of Pharaoh. You remember these guys? Uh, you know, Moses would uh, do something, and they would copy it. Moses does it to display God's power, and, and they, would, they would copy it. Well, what they tried to do was make their magic seem like it was just as powerful as what Moses was doing by the power of God. And Paul says that's what these, uh, th- that's what these characters are doing. They're corrupt. They're unbelieving men. They take advantage of weak women. They convince them that their message is just as good as the gospel, just as powerful, but it isn't. You see, lies abound today, but there is no other gospel. The gospel that teaches us of Jesus' perfect life, His sacrificial death, His resurrection, only that gospel will save you. Whatever you are looking for this morning, whatever it is that you are searching for, If it is anything other than Jesus Christ, it is impotent. It can do nothing except give you false hope that will take you nowhere. Don't settle for just finding something that you think works for you. Seek God while he may be found. That's what the Bible would say. I would love to talk to you more about that if that's you. For Timothy, who is preaching this gospel, there's this two-edged sword of difficulty, the deception and the darkness. Faithful ministry is hard. I mean, Paul's not holding back, is he? There's no sugarcoating this situation. He wants Timothy to understand the full weight of the hardness of faithful ministry. However, he doesn't want to just send him out with his tail between his legs from this paragraph, because faithful ministry is hard, but it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless because no matter what it looks like right now, this is what is guaranteed for all opposition to the gospel. You ready? You know what's guaranteed? Defeat. For all opposition to the gospel, defeat Is guaranteed, and Paul gives us an indication of this in the last sentence of this paragraph. Listen, speaking of Janus and speaking of these false teachers who uh, uh, deceive weak women, he says they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Friends, the agenda of darkness and deception, whether it's out there in the world, whether it's hiding in the church, it will not get far. It will not win. It will not drag the church under. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, the magicians in Moses' day, they ended up not being able to duplicate the plague of the gnats they ended up not being able to deal with the plague of the boils. And in the same way, the impotence of this false teaching will be made clear. Do you remember when Aaron and Moses were there and God says to Aaron, throw down your staff and it becomes a serpent. And then the magicians say, well, anything you can do, I can do better. And they just take their staff and they throw them down and it becomes a serpent. Do you remember what happened next? Aaron's staff turns serpent slivers uh, slithers over and swallows up the staffs of the magicians and in the same way friends in the same way the gospel will swallow up every lie so that the only thing left is the gospel 1 Peter 1 quoting from Isaiah All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So stay faithful in preaching this good news, Timothy. Stay faithful in preaching this good news, parents. Stay faithful in preaching this good news, Christian. Stay faithful in preaching this good news, pastor. Stay faithful in preaching this good news, Gray Road. It is going to be difficult. Can you feel it? The darkness of the world, the deception of the devil will fight us every step of the way. But your eyes will see the coming of the glory of the Lord. He will trample out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He will loose the fateful lightning of His terrible swift sword and His truth will march on to victory. Or Think about these words that we sang even earlier today. Sing it with me. Go ahead to the next slide there. And the next one. No. Oh, I asked you I sent another one. Never mind. I'll just sing it. Just listen. If you know it, sing
1: it. So last verse. That word above all earthly powers is evermore abiding. The Spirit and the gifts are ours Through Jesus with us siding Let goods and kindred go This mortal life also The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Faithful ministry is hard,
0: but it's not hopeless. Let's pray. Oh, God, would You drive deep into our soul both the reality in which we serve and live and seek to make disciples and the hope that we have that the grass will wither and the flower will fade, but Your Word will endure forever. Make us Christians. Make us a church that stays steady in the midst of turmoil. Put strength in every stride. Give grace for times of difficulty. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.